Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 today on ring of truth with pastor dan sexton jesus took the words to be god's words and he even took the letters and the markings of the letters and the tenses of the words the tenses of the verbs to be inspired and he makes the case for life after death and a continuation of our relationship with God after we die on the tense of one word in Exodus chapter 3. And I point that out to ask you the question, do you have the same view of the Bible as Jesus does? Great question. Do you have the same view of the Bible as Jesus does, or do you think you know more about the Bible than he does? Today, Pastor Dan points out that Jesus had a very high view of the inspiration of Scripture, Jesus is in the Godhead. He participated in the creation. He knows all, sees all, and has all power. When he interprets Scripture, it's beyond human debate. We don't have the authority to interpret the Bible differently than Jesus. Let's read the Bible with the same high view that Jesus had. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Matthew chapter 22 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Look at verse 30. Again, we see how Jesus deals with people that are non-believers or doubters or skeptics. Look at verse 30. Jesus says, for in the resurrection. Now he's speaking to the Sadducees and the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Even so, Jesus still speaks to them about the resurrection. And he speaks to them about the resurrection As a matter of fact, Jesus did not edit what he says because of their unbelief. Well, what if I'm talking to someone and that person doesn't believe the Bible? Still tell them what the Bible says as a matter of fact. That's what Jesus did. Don't edit what you say because of someone's unbelief. Don't edit what you say because someone denies the truth. Or someone denies reality, and I need to accommodate their unbelief, or I need to accommodate their falsehood, or their lack of not being in reality on these things. That applies to more than just the Bible, by the way. He says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. In the resurrection, we will not be married. And I guess that might be sad news to some or or happy news to others, depending on your marriage. The reason is because there will be no need for marriage in the resurrection because there will not be procreation in the resurrection. 
Now, we will know our spouse in the resurrection. That's a question that people often ask. Will we know each other in the resurrection? Will I know my spouse? Will I know my kids? Will I know my grandkids in the resurrection? If you and your family members have trusted Christ, you will be together in heaven and you will know each other. We will not uh, know less in heaven than we know here on earth. And so we will know our spouse, we will know our family members, and I think one of the glorious things about heaven will be that we will be reunited with family members who have died in Christ before us, and we will enjoy heaven together with our family. And we will worship together in our glorified, resurrected bodies. We will be completely free from sin, free from selfishness and carnality, free from misunderstandings with our loved ones, free from all the negative things that affect our relationships here on earth. Now all of that's going to be removed. No misunderstandings and what you said. Why'd you say it like that? What'd you mean by that? None of that. And we will enjoy each other in perfect love. In perfect love. How wonderful will that be? Jesus said we will be like the angels. He didn't say we will be angels. You don't turn into an angel. You're still the same person in heaven. You're just in your resurrected, glorified body. We will be like the angels. And what he means here is we'll be like the angels in that we will not be married. By the way, the Sadducees did not believe in angels either. Oh, but Jesus, they don't believe in angels. I don't care. I'm Jesus, right? I mean, like. (laughs) So with this one statement, Jesus corrected their error regarding the resurrection and their error concerning angels. Verse 31, he says, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, it's almost as if he says, well, since you brought up the resurrection, let me also say this. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read What was spoken to you by God? I love when Jesus says, have you not read to the religious leaders? I'm sure that stung and humiliated them in front of everybody. To have this carpenter from Galilee say to them, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Now watch what he says here, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, as I said earlier, the Sadducees only recognized the first five books of the Bible, and they argued that the resurrection is not found anywhere in the first five books of the Bible. Here, Jesus quotes from one of the first five books of the Bible. He quotes from Exodus to show that there is indeed life after death. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God did not say this to Moses in the past tense, but the present tense. God did not say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, implying he is still their God, even though they died hundreds of years before God said that. Even though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died physically, they were still alive. 
and God was still their God. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Though he may die physically, that's not the end. He shall live. Death is not the end. When a believer in Jesus Christ dies physically, the Bible tells us they immediately go into the presence of Jesus Christ and they are very much alive. In fact, they are more alive then than they ever have been before. And so Jesus showed that the first five books of the Bible clearly implied the reality of life after death and a future resurrection. But please note here, listen, give me your attention. Jesus made his whole argument for the resurrection on the tense of the verb. On the tense of the verb. The verb was present tense, not past tense. I am, not I was. His whole argument here for the resurrection, it rests on the tense of the verb. Jesus took the Bible very, very literally, even down to the tenses of the verbs. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, every jot and every tittle of the law of God will be fulfilled. The jot and the tittle were the smallest letter and the smallest marking on the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Jesus was saying the scriptures will be fulfilled down to the smallest letter and down to the smallest markings on the letters. Jesus had a very high view of the scriptures. Now, there are some today, many today, in fact, who say, well, the Bible contains the thoughts of God or godly principles or godly lessons, but the actual words are not God's words or the actual words are not really that important. It's really just the principles that we're looking at here, but the words are the words of men. They're not the words of God. Jesus took the words to be God's words, and he even took the letters and the markings of the letters and the tenses of the words, the tenses of the verbs, to be inspired. And he makes the case for life after death and a continuation of our relationship with God after we die on the tense of one word in Exodus chapter 3. And I point that out to ask you the question, do you have the same view of the Bible as Jesus does? Or do you think you know more about the Bible than Jesus? The words aren't important, or not all the words are from God. Jesus had a very high view of the inspiration of Scripture. Now, verse 33 says, And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, note, it's the multitudes here who were astonished at his teaching. And by now, the crowd, I'm sure, has grown even larger in size as more people have come into the courts and have kind of seen what's going on and gathered around to watch this exchange with the religious leaders. Now, after this, uh, the Sadducees did not ask Jesus any more questions. This just put them in their place. They walk away. They're done. Which is pretty smart. But look at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that they were not going to ask any more questions, well, then they gathered together. 
They huddle up. What can we ask him to catch him? And then one of them, verse 35, a lawyer asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, when it says lawyer here, this means an expert in the law of Moses. And this lawyer, he seems to be genuinely asking this question. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. Mark's account of this tells us the lawyer was standing there listening to the debate between Jesus and the Sadducees. And Mark's account says that he realized that Jesus had answered them well. He stood there and thought, wow, that's a really good answer. And so then he asked, teacher, which is the great commandment? So again, it seems that his question is actually sincere. When it says he asked, testing him, the word means to test, to prove the quality of. He's not trying to trick him with this question. He's like, man, he answered that last question really well. I'm going to ask him another question. And I want to see how how he answers that question. And this question is about the great command. What's the great commandment? This was a question that was often debated among the religious leaders and the rabbis at that time. Which is the great commandment in the law of Moses? There are 613 laws in the law of Moses. And so the religious leaders, the rabbis in that day, they debated which one is the greatest or the most important law in the law of Moses. Jesus immediately answered, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He said, this is the first and great commandment. And the second, they didn't ask for the second, but he's going to give it to them anyways. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which is part of the Shema that the Jewish people prayed every day and they still pray every day. And then he quotes Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Again, he said, The great commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That means you love God with all that you are. You love God with your whole being, your whole life. This is what God desires from every one of us. That we would love him with all of our being. With every ounce of our being. And this is the most important commandment in the Bible, according to Jesus. And he said, the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this does not mean you have to learn to love yourself first so that you can then love your neighbor as yourself. You don't need to learn to love yourself because you already love yourself. Jesus is saying, love your neighbor just as you already love yourself. And so, 
when it comes to my neighbor, what would I want for myself? What would I want someone to do for me if I were in their situation? That's loving your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments, they sum up all of the law, all 613 laws in the law of Moses. Romans 13.10 says, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. The Apostle Paul summarized the entire law of Moses with one word, love. If we played a word association game and I said to you, what word comes to mind when I say the phrase, the law of God? I suspect some of you might say rules, works, do's, don'ts. The word that should come to mind should be love. Love. You can put every law in the Old Testament into one of these two categories. It's either an example of loving God or an example of loving your neighbor. Every law is a way for you to express love for God or love for your neighbor. Look at verse 40. Jesus said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, meaning all of the Old Testament. And it's an interesting word choice that Jesus used here. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. That word hang, it can also mean to crucify. The first commandment speaks of our vertical relationship with God. The second commandment speaks of our horizontal relationship with our fellow man. When you put them together, you have a cross. Jesus hung on the cross, demonstrating his perfect love for the Father and his perfect love for others. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friend. Jesus laid down his life for us, his friends. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, after Jesus answered this final question, Mark's gospel says, no one dared question him after this. I have no further questions. <laughs> and so now, Jesus doesn't just let them go. Jesus turns the table on them, and he asks a question of the religious leaders in verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. So he asked this question, what do you think about the Christ? And that's really the most important question, isn't it? What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? How you answer that question determines where you will spend eternity. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And the Pharisees said, well, he's the son of David. And the Pharisees were correct. The Bible does say the Christ or the Messiah is the son of David. But that's not all the Bible says about the Christ. The Bible also says he is the son of God. And that's where Jesus takes them here. He said to them in verse 43, how then, if he's the son of David, how then does David in the spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Call him Lord, 
saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And Jesus quotes here from Psalm 110, which by the way is the most frequently quoted Old Testament chapter in the New Testament. And David called the Messiah, my Lord, my Lord. And so the Messiah is not only David's son, he's also David's Lord. And Jesus is saying, well, how can that be? How can he be David's son and also David's Lord? And the point is, it's pointing to the deity of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 22, verse 6 says that Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. He's the root, he's the source, he's the creator of David because he's God. And when Jesus stepped into humanity, he stepped into humanity as the offspring of David. So he's both the son of David and the son of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 3, I'll just read it to you. It says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He was born the seed of David, and he was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection. So he's both the Son of God and the Son of David. He's divine. He's God incarnate. And so verse 46, and no one was able to answer him a word. So again, picture the crowd in that court, tens of thousands of people jam-packed in there. And Jesus asked this question about the Christ. And the whole crowd is silent. The religious leaders are silent. The Pharisees are silent. The Sadducees are probably still in the crowd. Silent. The scribes, the lawyers, the people who should be able to answer these questions, they're silent. Everybody is silent. No one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. And here the religious leaders hoped to publicly discredit Jesus in front of this crowd so they would turn against him. Instead, Jesus publicly discredited the religious leaders in front of the crowd. And Jesus is not finished. <laughs> In chapter 23, if you just look at verse 1, don't worry, we're not going into chapter 23 today. Jesus will turn to the crowd and he will begin to address the crowd directly about the religious leaders who are still standing there. And he's really going to let them have it. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Jesus, we thank you for your boldness. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that you you don't compromise. You don't back down. Lord, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us boldness. Lord, to just let our light shine in this world that is just getting darker by the day and more confusing by the day. Lord, I, I pray that we would have the boldness to just declare your truth, whether people believe it or not. Uh, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't edit ourselves because of the unbelief of others. Lord, just that we would let our light shine before men. 
And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Matthew, and he has more to share with you next time. How is what you're hearing from this book landing in your heart? If there's anything that's prompting you to seek out more questions or to ask for prayer in any way, would you be willing to give us a call and talk to us? Our desire is to hear your heart, pray with you, and ask for God to help you with whatever you might be wondering or thinking about. Our number is 410-491-4592. That number again is 410-491-4592. You can also send us an email through our website, calvaryec.com. Just find our info under the About tab. If you're not connected with a local church, we encourage you to find a church family that will help guide and support you in your faith. And if you're in the area, please join us at Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in Columbia, Maryland. For more details, visit calvaryec.com. In our next edition, you'll have the opportunity to learn additional things from this first book of the New Testament. Pastor Dan has more to teach on from Matthew, and we're excited for you to join us as we continue growing. There's so much to appreciate by reading God's Word. We hope you'll tune in next time and be a part of our listening audience right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and am what I know because I know His voice and it only takes Reach true.